When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, season previews roll on. We welcome back an esteemed guest tonight. You tell me, you ready to talk about Duke football? As ready as I can be. Who is ever ready to talk about Duke football? <laughs> um, I'm guessing that there's fan bases of 14 of the 15 teams that find that a lot funnier than the other one does. But uh, needless to say, <laughs> yeah. Mr. Steve Wiseman is always ready to talk Duke football. He is our guy. We've had him on here for a couple of years. Um, incredibly knowledgeable. Uh, knows a lot about this program. Follows it very closely. Has a good relationship with David Cutcliffe and his coaching staff. A lot of good things to say. He is on the disabled list right now, Mike. He he won't tell you, but he he's got you know he's got a situation that he's kind of dealing with that's physically inhibiting him at the moment. And yet, once again, he came through for us. Our our guy came through, and and a really good conversation we had with him uh, about this team this year. That's right. Be careful on your ladders, kids. Be careful on your ladders. <laughs> and just go ahead and tweet him uh, if you have any further questions about that. He is at Steve Wiseman NC, all one word. Um, but he again, great source of knowledge about Duke Duke football. Uh, he covers the team for the Durham Herald Sun and the Raleigh News Observer. So go check him out there. Um, Mike, without any further ado, let's go ahead and just jump into our conversation that we had with Steve Wiseman. Go ahead and take a listen. All right, Mike, we now welcome back one of our favorite guests to talk to. He is extremely knowledgeable about the Duke football program. Uh, really not a lot of people we could say that about, but this guy for certain. Mr. Steve Wiseman joins the program once again, uh, previewing the Duke 2020 season. He is uh, he covers Duke for the Durham Herald Sun and the Raleigh News Observer. Steve, it is great having you back on. Welcome back. How are you doing, sir? Are you hanging in there with all the quarantine and all that? I am, yes been a weird uh, last six months for all of us, right? But uh, I think we might be getting close to having some actual football, which kind of raises everybody's hopes a little bit. Yeah, really something that six months ago I, I thought was really going to be a thing, and then three months ago I was really not sure. And it's really nice being here in uh, early September as we record that, yeah, it's looking like it's going to happen on time and, and everything. So that's, that's kind of bizarre, but a really welcome surprise here for everything else that's happened this year. So uh, thank you for joining us. Really excited to have you on here and, and talking about Duke. And, and Duke is a really interesting football program for a lot of ways and, and has been over the last you know decade or so. But um, one of the things I think we, we had you on last year and we talked about this. And so I really just kind of need to get an update here. We enter into season 13 of the David Cutcliffe era at Duke. And he, we mentioned in, before we recorded here, I mean, there are a couple of guys that we can call out that have been at their jobs in the Power Five longer than this, but there's not many. It's a short list. Um, he is one of the most tenured guys in his current position. 
Um, he is coming off of a bit of a frustrating five and seven season. It was a little bit of a rebuild coming off of Daniel Jones leaving. He had a really good tenure there for Duke for a couple of years. Um, I, I guess I'm curious to hear from you, you know, realizing that they missed a bowl game for the first time in a few years last year, kind of a restart where we've been here for a long time, Cutcliffe's getting older. Like, is there any, is there any movement to try to move on from Cutcliffe? Is he ready to back out? Is there the thought that he's going to be here for another five or six years? Like, I guess, where do things stand with Cutcliffe entering year 13 at Duke? Yeah. I mean, uh, certainly nobody in any uh, power situation at Duke is ready for Cutcliffe to leave. I'll tell you that right now. Kevin White thinks he's the man for the job here and uh, that's Duke's AD. And so, the, the money people at Duke all, all love Cutcliffe and, and know the job that he's done just to get Duke to this point. Nobody's happy about five and seven last year. I know that for sure. And, but, but they think that he's the guy to, to kind of keep it going here for at least a few more years and, 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 and all that. So obviously in any fan base, there's a certain amount that are frustrated that, okay, Duke started going to bowls pretty much every year. Now they've been to bowl games in six of the last eight years, which um, is, is a big, big deal at Duke. And there are people that say, hey, why can't we win the Coastal again? Why, why can't we get over the top? Maybe we need to, to move on and try somebody else. There's, always, there's a small segment of the fan base that's like that. But, but the, the majority of people completely remember what Duke football was like, you know, 15 years ago. And the fact of going – even then going five and seven would have been a dream season compared to the, you know, the winless seasons they were having. So uh, that's kind of where that goes. As far as Cutcliffe himself, he is um, – you know, he, he – he took on the he's taken on the, the role of offensive coordinator this year in addition to being head coach, uh, which shows you that he's he's fully invested in what he's doing. He wants to win here again. Uh, he wants to the five and seven wasn't good enough for him. They only scored 25 points a game, which is which is you know really low for a Cutcliffe offense. And so he knew he had to take control. So that that tells you how how invested he is in the job. And he just turned 65 last September, and so he's this few weeks here he's going to turn 66. Um, you know, he's, he's in pretty good health now after having some, some heart issues earlier in his, in his life and his tenure. Um, so I think that, he, you know, he's probably here for another, you know, two or three years at least. Um, he, he's somebody I can see coaching until 70. Uh, but, again, being an offensive coordinator and head coach uh, is something that could, you know, kind of uh, grind him a little tougher than what, maybe what he was thinking. So we'll see how that impacts him because that's, you know, doing those two jobs to, at once. I know – He's said already that uh, that it's, it's more tiring than maybe what he thought it was going to be. So that's one thing to watch. But that, yeah, that, I mean, he has a lot of stability here, and um, and and the people that run Duke love him in this job. So those two things are are solid. I guess the one thing that can make you less tired is having a quarterback that's a bit more competent than the one you had a year ago. So you bring in Chase Bryce from Clemson as a transfer. Obviously, what we've seen out of Chase Price is his ability to play well and essentially clean up duty for Trevor Lawrence in garbage time games. But with all that being said, there is talent there for sure. And it will certainly be a step up from Quentin Harris, I think. I mean, Quentin Harris last year, you know, given what we had seen of him backing up Daniel Jones, the fact that he played as poorly as he did was quite the surprise. It was, and and I didn't think he would be that poor either. I thought he would take care of the ball better and not not put the ball in danger, as they like to say. He did that a lot, and and then, um, you know, once teams started scheming toward what he could and couldn't do, then it was kind of lights out. I mean, that's where they really struggled uh, down, you know, uh, 
October and November. They really couldn't get things going. They did pretty well in September, but then it just kind of went downhill from there. So, um, yeah, uh, we talk about uh, Cutcliffe having a having a, a tough time being OC and head coach, and how much how tiring that can be. I think I know last year trying to win with that offense uh, the way it was constructed was tiring for him too, and <laughs> it probably took a lot out of him. So maybe this is is less tiring maybe because he knows he can maybe be better at it and that will make him feel better. But Chase Bryce is was a big a huge off season addition to Duke program because with Harris gone they really didn't have an, another guy ready to step in and so um, they had Chris Katrinik who is a, a redshirt junior who um, really isn't quite an ACC level quarterback and then they brought him in and he just hasn't hasn't developed but they remember they hoped he would so he he's a good a capable backup but not somebody you want to go to battle with all the time and and then uh, Gunnar Holmberg who is a um uh, a redshirt sophomore he he hurt his knee last year missed the whole season uh and they he would have gotten playing time maybe would have ended up starting ahead of Harris maybe had he been healthy but uh that didn't happen so he's he's behind in his development so they really need to chase Bryce to come in and he's somebody that Cutcliffe thinks he can really develop and, and, and into a, a big-time quarterback. He's got those kind of skills. We saw him at Clemson. Bryce wanted to come here because of what Cutcliffe does with quarterbacks. He knows about what he did with Daniel Jones and the Mannings and all that. So uh, that was one thing that, that Davo Swinney even told him, hey, Cutcliffe's the guy you should look at it as you get ready to transfer here. So that worked out for, for, for Chase and for Duke, and, and we'll see how much of a difference it makes on the offense. Steve, one of the things that Chase is really going to benefit from here as he arrives at Duke is the fact that the supporting cast around him is made up almost entirely of folks who have spent at least a year in the system already under Cutcliffe and in this offense, in this program. Um, He gets back Deion Jackson and Mateo Durant at running back, Jalen Calhoun, Noah Gray, Scott Bracey, you know, as receivers, like there is a lot of continuity there. It is really just a matter of, of Bryce kind of finding a rhythm with those guys or, or, or finding a way to mesh with them. But it, it's got to be a nice little benefit to him having that crew already in place and, and ready to work with him. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's the difference. Last year, a lot of those guys you mentioned, um, Calhoun especially, he was a true freshman last year. He ended up being a, a really good player for Duke. But he, he came in new. And had Chase been coming in with guys that were also coming in as new starters, that may have been a problem, right, uh, early on and trying to get the, get things going. But he comes in now, and these guys are already uh, set, especially Noah Gray at tight end, who's, who is one of the better tight ends in the ACC, uh, I think. And so um, he, he's a guy that they know they can count on to make third down catches. He's pretty good in the red zone. Um, it's always good to have a, a tight end that, you know, you can as a good outlet. So that will really help Chase. And then especially the running game with Deion Jackson as a senior now, um, and then Mateo Durant has shown really good things in his couple of years here playing. So I think that uh, there's a good possibility that it sets them up to have success on offense, to be better than last year. They've got to cut down the turnovers for sure, and that should help you know, increase the, the points per game, which is what Cutcliffe focuses on is points per game. It's all about that. And, and so they've got, to, they've got to be better early in downs, early in you know, first and second downs, so you set up easier conversion situations. That was a big problem last year with Clinton Harris in addition to the turnovers. And so I think uh, Chase should be able to do that with, with these guys, these skill players. They've, they've had a pretty good camp so far. Defensively, it's safe to say that Duke has been 
you know, relatively confident on that side of the football in spite of the struggles they may have had offensively last year. And, you know, even in the latter couple of years of the Daniel Jones era at Duke, you know, the Blue Devils defense, I thought overall did a pretty solid job. Now, given the offense should be a bit better uh, this year, Steve, what should we expect out of out of the defense? Is the defense the better of, of the two units? Um, is the defense expected to take any major strides forward compared to where they were at a year ago? Yeah, I would think they would be a little better than last year, um, even though they lost their, their top two tacklers. Uh, Kobe Kwanzaa at linebacker and Dylan Singleton at safety were seniors last year. So they're both gone, but uh, they return everybody on the defensive line. Uh, they return uh, everybody but but Singleton in the defensive secondary. Duke's been really good at, at corner and safety in recent years here. That's been a, an area of strength for them. And they should be really good there with a kid named Michael Carter who plays safety or corner. There are four two five alignments, so they can move guys around and, and play different positions on the back end. But he's a guy that, that really uh, is a strong player, good against the run, good in pass coverage, just a, a really good-looking player. And uh, and then um, uh, they're getting back Mark Gilbert, uh, who was an all-ACC corner in 2017 before he dislocated his hip early in the 2018 season. Missed all that year, missed all last year. Uh, he was a guy that was you know, looking at he'd be in the NFL by now if he hadn't been injured. And uh, so to get him back after two years and, and from everything I've heard in camp so far, he has been as good as he was before he got hurt. Now that I have to see that in games at game speed before I can believe it. But uh, the fact that he's even out there doing this and looking that good is a big win for Duke. So, so you've got, you know, you had good players back there anyway. Uh, and a lot of guys coming back, they, uh, Leonard Johnson and Josh Blackwell were the two starting corners last year. They were both coming back. Gilbert's going to knock one of those guys out, but that gives them pretty good depth. Uh, Marquise Waters at safety is pretty good back there, too. Really strong against the run, kind of like Michael Carter. So uh, they look good there. They look good up front uh, with, with Chris Rumpf and uh, Victor DiMuccagi, uh at, uh, at defensive end. Uh, both those guys are, are all-conference candidates, uh, which is a big – a big win for Duke to have all conference candidates up front. That's not something they've had maybe ever that I can remember. So um, they do have some question marks at linebacker because they, they don't have a starter coming back there. Uh, Shaka Hayward and Rocky Shelton will be the starters there. Uh, Brandon Hill uh, would have been a redshirt junior coming back with, with a lot of starting experience, but he has decided to opt out uh, for the season. So that's going to, that's going to cost them some experience there. He had more, more stars than anybody uh, uh, among the linebackers. So that's a bit of a question mark, but they, they like Shelton and Hayward. Hayward started some last year um, uh, because of injury because Hill was hurt a little bit. So that gives them a little bit of experience there. But um, So there's going to be some question marks at linebacker, but they, they think those guys are pretty pretty athletic. And with being so strong on the front end and the back end, maybe that can help make up for that inexperience there. But I think this defense will will attack and and will clearly be the strength of Duke's team. And that's something that, interestingly, as, as much of an offensive guy as Cutcliffe has been historically, over the last half decade or more, I mean, the defense has almost been the calling card of this team. I mean, they've been really solid, really well coached, guys that are constantly in good position. Not always the most you know, unbelievably athletic guys, but they are, they are well coached and they are in, in good positions. They're in good schemes. 
good game plans. Like it is a consistently solid unit every year on the Duke defense. Um, Steve, I want to, I want to take a step back here and I, I apologize for kind of backtracking a little bit, but I do want to talk about the offensive line for just a second uh, on the offense. So we talked about new quarterback, Chase Bryce, a lot of continuity at the skill positions. Now, if you look at this from a 30,000-foot 30, view, the offensive line also has a lot of continuity, getting four of the five starters back. But as we were discussing before we came on this call, it's it's not really that simple. It's not it's not exactly like you have exactly four starters back like in a lot of years. That's right, um, because uh, one thing, the, the four starters, and then uh, they added a grad transfer uh, from Stanford, um, Devery Hamilton, who played both guard and tackle for the Cardinals last three years uh, has come in. He still has, he has two years of eligibility left because he registered one year. So they're going to have him start at one of the tackles. They think he's a better tackle than a guard. So uh, because of that, two of the uh, returning starting tackles, Casey Holman and Jacob Monk, who both started as freshmen last year, are going to move inside to guard. So I'll give them a little more, a little more oomph at guard. They think they're better there. And then um, uh, that which knocks out Rock Chambers, who as a senior had, had been a starter two, the last two years and played some as a freshman at, at guard. He's going to be a backup. Um, uh, but that may change, too, because uh, Jack Woolabaugh, the starting center, an Outland Trophy candidate uh, on, the, on the watch list anyway, um, uh, for his ACL in practice this week. So that's going to knock him out for the season, and that's a big loss in the middle of the line. Uh, so somebody's going to have to move in to start at center, and that may be – Will Taylor, who uh, started at the end of last year after Willabaugh had an ankle injury uh, the last couple games, he in November, Will Taylor played there. Or they could decide to slide one of the guards uh, back in to center and have him play there to strengthen that. Maybe uh, Chambers or, or, or Maurice McIntyre, guys that, that were uh, the starting guards or played a lot of guard last year, uh, could slide in there. Or even uh, Jacob Monk, maybe. Who knows? I mean, that, right now this just happened, so... It's kind of up in the air. They got to try to figure out what they're going to do. So, yeah, when you said they got four starters coming back, they do. They had four star- four guys on the roster who started last year, and now you've lost Woolabaugh, and then you got the guard. The tackles are now playing guard. So it's a little bit a little bit sketchy, and uh, that 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 has now become the big question. To me, it was a question anyway, even with the four guys coming back because they were moving people around. And adding Hamilton was a, looks like a, a positive for Duke. That gives them more depth that, than they would have had. That it's a good thing now they did that, considering what happened with, with Jeff Woolabaugh. But um, there's a lot of uncertainty there. And, of course, if you don't have a good offensive line, it doesn't matter who's at quarterback or who's at running back, you're not going to get a lot done on offense. So I think I mean, the offense, as we talked earlier about the skill guys, because of that there's potential for them to be better to average closer to 30 or over 30 points a game. But if this line doesn't get figured out and they can't make up for Wilbaugh's loss, then none of that's going to matter. You want to go special teams, Joey? Yeah, let's do what that. What are you thinking? Okay. All right, Steve. So Dave the Cutcliffe coach teams usually on special teams are at least, you know, I, I consider Duke to be one of the better coach teams in, in the ACC, generally speaking, even though they frequently face a talent deficiency. But they always seem to keep things pretty tight from a special team standpoint. What should we expect um, out of that unit? Because I feel like Duke could end up playing in a lot of tight games this year where special teams does end up becoming a factor. Yeah, and there's some questions there because uh, the kicker and punter both are, 
are gone from last year's team. So they're going to be replacing them with, with freshmen uh, or um, uh, former walk-on Jackson Hubbard um, has, has made a good push to be the starting punter maybe here in camp, but he's now on scholarship. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, Austin Parker and, and AJ Reed were the two skill guys last year and they're, they're gone. So um, they got some replacements to do there. They do have a really strong point here with their kick return game. Devon Filiard Johnson, uh, who's getting a lot of a lot of talk as a you know uh, uh, all ACC you know special teams guy or, or uh, uh, at, at kick return. He he returned two kicks for touchdowns in the same game last year against Wake Forest in November in the rain. I was at that game in Winston. It was an awful night, just not a good night for for skill guys. But yet he he thrived in that and did really well. And so. Um, there's a guy that uh, you think back when they had Devon Edwards uh, earlier this uh, in, in the 2010s, he was the guy that returned six uh, kicks for touchdowns in his career. And so they're used to having, you know, home run guys in the kick game that can really change a game in a heartbeat. And so they do have that with Devon Filiard Johnson, uh, which should be a strength for them. So, but they need to get the, the, um, the field goal game going. Charlie Ham, a redshirt freshman, is set to take over as the kicker. So again, there's a guy that's new to college football. He was in the in the program last year. So I think they know what they got with him, and they're ready to go with him. But uh, again, he's not done it, you know, in a real game yet. So we'll see how that goes. Mike, are you good to move on to the schedule here? Yeah, let's make it happen, Joey. Let's make it happen. Let's do it. <laughs> so, so Steve, I I look at this schedule, and there's one real thing that jumps out at me, and I, I guess kind of the it's. It's not an exact game-by-game thing, but it's certainly a large-scale trend is that if you just lined up these 10 ACC teams on the schedule from, you know, most winnable to least winnable, it's interesting looking at it because from a Duke standpoint, I would say four of the five most winnable games that they play are all on the road. And four of the five least winnable games they get are all at home. Like it, it, you tell me if I'm wrong or if I'm interpreting this wrong, but like that feels like the, the schedule that was drawn up here has not done a lot of service towards Duke in particular. <laughs> That's true. Um, yeah. Uh, now, one thing they were going to play Notre Dame anyway, so that didn't hurt them. It just made it a conference game, right? And they got to open the season in South Bend instead of going there in October, which they were supposed to do. So that that, that didn't do them a favor. That's for sure. But um, yeah, they they already knew they were going to play the Irish, uh, but they had to add Florida State which we don't really know what they're going to be. But, again, they seem to always have a talent edge over Duke, that's for sure. And Duke's never beat them uh, in ACC play. So um, that's that's a problem. Uh, one thing, uh, Duke has been a better road team than our home team under Cutcliffe. They don't – and this year it doesn't matter with COVID with nobody in the stands, but Duke's never had a really a home field advantage. Uh, they don't have a big fan base. So – uh, it doesn't make it a, a, a hard place for teams to come in and play. And when they play teams like Virginia Tech and Carolina and, and that in Durham, there's more visiting fans than home fans. So um, that doesn't help them. But anyway, so the, you're right. There are, it looks like some tougher games on the road, but that's where Duke seems to play a little better sometimes. So we'll, we'll see how that turns out. But, you know, they, they've had a lot of trouble with Wake Forest lately. They haven't been able to beat them. They've had a lot of trouble lately with Virginia. Um, they've been pretty decent against Virginia Tech, kind of, you know, win one, lose one pretty much the last few years here. Um, they played, that was their best game they played last year was in Blacksburg when they smoked Virginia Tech, shockingly. Uh, so they, um, uh, uh, 
you know, they, they play NC State, which is a team that's that's kind of struggling, uh, trying to get their footing back under uh, Dave Doran. So that's that could be a win maybe. Um, but again, uh, the, you don't look at that and 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 see you know a path to you know an ACC title game appearance. I don't think that's something that's in the cards here. I think that you know they're hoping to to get back on the good side of 500 um, with before Woolabaugh got hurt. I thought maybe they had the chance to be seven and four, maybe if things went really well, because I thought Bryce could make that much difference on offense. I thought the defense is pretty good. Now, mm, seven might be might be a reach. Might be they might be good at getting six, considering that you know we don't know what the offensive line is going to be. If it all comes together, maybe they can win seven. But um, that would be the, the high water mark, I think, for Duke this year. It's interesting because I feel like it is a gettable schedule, Steve. Like there aren't, I mean, the the Notre Dame game in the opener, I mean, that's kind of a brutal draw, but they were, like you mentioned, like they were going to see Notre Dame anyway. And then North Carolina is tough. I mean, Florida State, pretty tough. Virginia Tech, they'll be looking for redemption after what happened at Lane Stadium last September. But, you know, by the same token, I mean, there are plenty of teams on the schedule who have question marks of their own, like you said, like BC, new coach, new quarterback. Syracuse, they're trying to figure out quarterback after what happened last year. Um, NC State, even worse. Like, NC State still doesn't know who their quarterback's going to be. I, I mean, there are just a ton of questions. Virginia, again, another quarterback that needs to be replaced. It's just a lot of a lot of question marks to key positions for teams on Duke's schedule here, which is why, I, you know, 500, I think, is potentially attainable if Chase Bryce doesn't get absolutely killed behind this offensive line. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's one thing I do want to mention that, you know, when the schedule got reshuffled, they lost Miami and they gained Boston College. And so even though Duke beat Miami last year, let's face it, Miami is normally a better team than Duke. In fact, Duke's been in the last two years, which is kind of surprising. But they're, I think if you go through into it right now, Miami is a better, in a better position than Boston College, right? So that does make Duke's schedule a little easier when it comes to that. Syracuse, Looked like it was, should have been a sure win for Duke last year, and the Orange came in here and just annihilated Duke in, in that game in November. When the, the, the team really they got behind and kind of quit. I mean, Harris kept turning the ball over, and and Syracuse just rolled them. So we'll see if if that's you talked about Virginia Tech having revenge when they play Duke this year. Maybe that's what Duke will do to Syracuse. They're hoping to make up for an embarrassing performance uh, there. So I mean, th- you're right. There is a chance for them to win and and, and have, a, have a winning season. I think that's I think that's the what they think is the floor that they, they, they should win at least, you know, I mean, in, in ACC play, go five and five, and then you get Charlotte non-conference and get that, get to six and five. I think if anything less than that, they're going to be disappointed. At Duke. I find that really interesting. I'm going to leave that right there. Uh, <laughs> like it, it, Again, just looking at it. And, and I mean, again, if, if every game is played on neutral field, like I, I think I get that, but, Again, it's so many of these games played on, on the road. Um, I don't know. So, so Steve, let's just say, again, r- regardless of what the expectation is within the, the Duke athletic department, you know, do you in particular, do you have a prediction for what this team is, is going to finish at record-wise given this schedule? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I want to make it clear what I was saying. Their expectation is is to have, you know, no worse than a 6-5 and five record. I think, again, with these questions on – on the offensive line, um, I'm a little worried about that now. And then, and and not having um, a real off season. If Bryce could have come in here 
in May and worked with the staff on the field in person, you know, like he normally would have done in a non-COVID year, I think he'd be even better in a better position to really do well. But I think that is something that it's going to uh, hold back his development, and it may take a little bit for them to get into it. They start off at Notre Dame. That's not, you know, that's them looking like a pretty night of football for Duke probably. So right off the bat, they're going to get kind of smacked in the mouth, and um, that's not going to be fun. So I think that, you know, they might be looking at another, you know, four and seven, five and six kind of year, you know, unless unless things really, you know, they really get a break here and 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 Bryce can really make that much of a difference. I think, um, again, that offensive line question, uh, losing Willabaugh at the center is a big deal, and I think that might be difficult to overcome. And and I don't mean to put words in your mouth here, but I'm just guessing that when you say four and seven, five and six, you're predicting Charlotte as a win. I am. Yes. Okay. All yes. right. <laughs> just making sure, making sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. been tricky, you know, as we've been previewing these teams, we've, we've done it largely just from an ACC perspective, considering we don't really know which of these out of conference games are actually going to end up getting played. So, um, from a consistency standpoint, we've, we've tried to keep it as much as possible on the 10 game schedule, but I think we can yeah. all probably agree that we expect Duke to beat Charlotte in that game at home. Off of I would, yeah. I would, even though Charlotte went to a bowl last year and Duke didn't, but yeah, they, I mean, Charlotte's a program on the rise, but let's face it, that, that should not be a game Duke should lose, especially in October by that point. They should be in better shape than, than Charlotte. So yeah, I think that, you know, that would make, if they win that game, that'd make them three and seven or four and six in the conference and four and six, you know, I mean, Duke's not had a winning record in the conference since 2013. Uh, so um, that's, that's about where they've been. They've they won three games last year and went three and five and that's kind of where they are. So um, uh, unless again, I mean, the, the, the potential's there. And of course they think that they're, gonna, they're, they're better than that, but they've got to show it again now and they got to really make it happen. I was going to say, I mean, four and six in the conference, new quarterback, what this offseason has been, you know, limited preparation time, all that. Like, if I'm a Duke fan, I can live with that. So I, I think that's a that's a pretty solid fan or a pretty solid result, you know, looking at this schedule and if that's what ends up happening. So um, interesting, very interesting. I mean, again, a lot of things to kind of watch this season with Duke and um, some, some really interesting matchups, both – teams and locations. So we, we look forward to kind of seeing how that all shakes out. Um, Mike, that's all I got for Steve. Anything else while we got him? Oh, that's all. That's all I've got as well. Steve, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Um, why don't you tell all of our lovely podcast listeners where you can find yourself? <laughs> yeah. Um, our, all of Duke coverage is available at, at newsobserver.com or heraldsun.com. There's no hyphens in there or anything, just all newsobserver or heraldsun.com. And then my Twitter feed is at Steve Wiseman NC. That's Steve Wiseman NC on Twitter, uh, where you can get all of our access to all of our Duke coverage. Absolutely. And, and again, one of the most informed, in tune, in depth Duke guys that we know on the internet. So, Steve, it is an absolute pleasure having you on. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, we look forward to having you on again sometime soon. Yeah, glad to do it. Guys, take care. All right, Mike. Once again, that was Steve Wiseman, once again, of the Durham Herald Sun and the Raleigh News Observer. 
uh, at Steve Wiseman NC on Twitter. A uh, lot of good information there about a team that probably doesn't get that much coverage. I mean, they get overshadowed by the basketball team and all that, but Steve is absolutely on top of it and, and gave us a lot of good stuff to work with there. Um, I, it's interesting the way that he talked about the expectations within the building there and, and the fact that there are, you know, 500 or better expectations within that program. And it's, it, it, first of all, it's kind of a far cry from what you would have thought, you know, 15 to 20 years ago for what this Duke program is, but it's also kind of a testament to what David Cutcliffe has kind of turned it into. Yeah, and I think the expectations just in general are pretty high for Chase Bryce. I mean, anytime you bring in a quarterback from Clemson that's not named Trevor Lawrence but has pedigree and on-field experience and, you know, he's led them in a couple of different comebacks. You know, he, he's a kid who can play a little bit. And after the Quentin Harris experience last year, it's hard not, not to have the coaching staff a bit higher in regard to, like, the expectations and what they think you know, this team can be this year, just given how they've upgraded the quarterback position. But it's really all going to come down to the offensive line, like Steve mentioned. Chase Bryce might not be all of what Daniel Jones was. He might not be all of what, I don't know, Sean Renfrey was, or take your pick of former Duke quarterbacks under David Cutcliffe. But I'm guessing that he will be more of that than what he got from Anthony Brown. Last year. Anthony Brown, who am I thinking of? Sorry. Quentin Harris. Quentin Harris. That's the one. Wrong school altogether. Uh, it, we've done a lot of previews here, Mike, and it is it is wearing on me. That yeah, he will be more of what that mold of quarterback is than Quentin Harris, you know, a guy that actually can drive the ball down the field and have some success in the passing game. So I think from a fit standpoint, put it this way, you're not going to see him come out running the triple option as they did against Alabama game one last year. Uh, they're not going to yeah. have to resort to something that's – completely out of character for, for David Cutcliffe to, uh, to try to succeed. Oh, yeah. So Mike, as we look at the schedule and again, as we talked about with Steve there, it's, it's really an interesting, weird mix of games in terms of there's a number of teams that you might think Duke would be in good position to beat, but they play almost all of those games on the road and the games that are going to be tougher are the games they get at home. And you hope that maybe they could knock off somebody, but might be a little bit tough. I mean, what, what do you make of this from a record standpoint? Duke feels like a 500 team and maybe a loss or two worse. And and I'm not talking just ACC. I'm talking in general. I think from an ACC standpoint, they're probably going to be um, a, a game or two below 500. And the reason why I say that is, you know, the schedule's gettable, but they have so many questions. Um, Sure, you have Chase Bryce, but, like, who's he going to throw to? Uh, and I get that there's talent coming back there, but it's a lot of young talent. Offensive line concerns me a lot. I think the defense will be pretty good. Um, Coach Cutcliffe calling the plays I think is good. There, There's a lot of stuff to like about Duke, but there's a lot of stuff that still, like, gives you pause. There are winnable games. There, There's BC and Syracuse and NC State. You know, Virginia, Wake Forest, Georgia Tech. I mean, I, that's those are six conference games that are all winnable, but I don't think Duke's going to win every single one of those. Um, so I, I think when you look at it through that prism, I, I think it's more likely that, you know, Duke wins maybe three or four of them. And then I think on top of that, you give them the Charlotte game. I don't love their chances against Florida State, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, Notre Dame. I, I don't think they win any of those games. So four, maybe five wins. I'm going to go with, uh, let me go four and six in conference, Joey. And let me, let me give him that fifth win against Charlotte. 
I, as much as it's not very interesting podcasting to uh, for the hosts to agree, I, I think I'm right there with you. I, I got them at four and six. Um, I really like their odds at home against Boston College and Wake Forest. And then I look at the four road games at Syracuse, at NC State, and back-to-back weeks, and then later in the season at Virginia and at Georgia Tech. I think those four games, you probably split them. You probably go two yep. and two. Yep. I, I don't see them winning at Notre Dame. I don't see them winning at home against Virginia Tech, North Carolina, Florida State, especially at the end of the year against Florida State. Like, I, I think there's, from a sequencing standpoint and who they get and when they get them, I mean, I think there's definitely some wins to be had here. So I think with Charlotte, call it five and six. But um, from, from a conference standpoint, I'm going to go four and six on Duke. Um, and, again, I, I don't want to be too specific here because I, I think there's there's a lot of variability. And, and as much as a couple of these teams I think will be better by the end of the year, Duke may well be better by the end of the year too, you know, getting more snaps and experience with Chase Bryce running the offense. Like that's a, that's a big deal for what this offseason has, has kind of limited them to. Right. No, I, I totally agree with you. And I, and I think it's really going to be totally dependent on what they get out of the offensive line. So I do think Chase Bryce will be an improvement at quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I do want to make clear that Duke has a quarterback transferring in from Clemson. That does not mean that they are all of a sudden, you know, a, a division contender level team. Like, I, I don't think Chase Bryce is, is a remarkable transcendent quarterback. I don't think he's going to be a first round draft pick in the NFL, anything like that. But I do think, once again, I think he'll be an upgrade over what they had. And, and I think he'll bring a lot to the table. So that's a, a very positive step for Duke in this offense. So for sure. We're, we're on the same page here, Mike. We both got him at four and six in conference, and that's pretty much where Steve had him as well. So I think we're all kind of in agreement. Um, once again, I can't wait to really actually run the numbers after we've finished previewing these teams to figure out how, uh, how overly optimistic we were on everybody. But um, I, I think that's a pretty realistic prediction for, for right now and looking at the schedule on this team. Yep, no doubt about it. All right. Uh, Mike, that's all I got on Duke. Anything else? I think we're good, man. Another preview in the books. Another one down. Uh, that leaves us with like two more to go or something. I mean, I, I've lost count, but the point is we're almost done. It's almost time for ball. Yeah, it is almost time for actually like week one previews here. That's right. That's right. So uh, it is officially crunch time. Uh, keep your podcast feeds tuned here as we close out previewing the conference and then uh, as Mike mentioned, I mean, we got to start talking about actual games in week one. So uh, keep it tuned here. We'll, we'll keep you informed and up to date on everything going on. Uh, Mike, we're going to get out of here. We're going to come back, finish these previews, and then talk about week one. But in the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel VT. And together we're at BC Podcast ACACC. And once again, you can find Mr. Steve Wiseman on Twitter. He is at Steve Wiseman NC, all one word. Highly recommend doing that for all of your Duke coverage. Uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher Breaker, Overcast, all the good places that you get podcasts from, and especially on Anchor. Uh, Thanks to those who have and recommend that you do and share us with your friends, all that good stuff. Uh, Mike, you want to tell me they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of your podcasts there, Jerry. Sorry, I caught you in the middle of a sip of your drink there. I apologize. That's on me. Hey, I mean, if that's the worst thing to happen tonight, we'll be okay. 
<laughs> well, I, that can't be any worse than uh, than when I just completely forgot to mention the email address before I threw it to you for the social media. So uh, if you have questions, comments, or concerns, you can send all of that to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Thank you. And you've already told them where they can find us on the social media. So that's all I got, Mike. Anything else? They were good, man. I think so. Are you ready to finish out and just be done with these previews? Yes, I am. We're very tired. Put, put simply, yes. Yeah, we're tired. Ready for real football. Yeah, just yes. finish the season preview grind and get into the actual season grind. That, that sounds good to me. So, yeah, we'll, we'll come back and do that. We'll talk then. For sure, man. All right. Well, until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel and Mr. Steve Wiseman, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until then... Go ACC.